Amen. If you have your Bibles, 1 Kings chapter 3. Heading to a lot of books that probably haven't been opened in a while. We are in a year-long series going through the whole of the Bible from the beginning to the end. We're using a tool called the Wayfinding Bible. We encourage you to get one, bring it to church, mark it up, take notes. Um, if you can't afford one, drop out to the desk out in the lobby and we would love, we would love to give you one. We are in 1 Kings 3, one of the most famous, just like last week, David and Goliath. This week is a famous, famous story about Solomon asking for wisdom. Wikipedia defines wisdom this way. Wisdom is the ability to think and act using knowledge, experience, understanding, common sense, and insight. Probably stop there alone and just have some family talks, right? Wisdom has been regarded as one of the four cardinal virtues, and as a virtue, as a habit or disposition to perform the action with the highest degree of adequacy under any given circumstance. And it goes on to say this. In short, wisdom is a disposition to find the truth coupled with optimum judgment as to what action should be taken in order to deliver the correct outcome. Wisdom's something we all want. It's a conversation we can have, and every person in this room, no matter your age, you want to make good decisions. The older you get, the more you can look back and say, there were decisions I made that I sort of regret. If I had thought it through a little more, I would not have made that decision. Or, because some of us make rash decisions, others of us tend to sort of get paralyzed and not make decisions. And we look back on our life and we regret places where we did not make wise decisions because we were just frightened. We were scared to move into it for whatever reason. I think we all want wisdom. Wisdom on how to be a parent. For some of you, wisdom on how to find a spouse. Business decisions, school decisions. It is a day in, day out. This will be hopefully one of the most practical messages you'll hear from this pulpit. You can take away and say, I can begin to live a little differently because I can think differently. I can react differently to the situations around me. We're going to be in 1 Kings 3. Let me pray before we jump in it. God, use your word. Speak through your word this morning to each one in this room. Whatever it is, words of encouragement, words of conviction, whatever it might be. By the power of your spirit, to the glory of your name. We pray this in your name. And all God's people said... Background to 1 Kings 3, Solomon is the son of David and Bathsheba. We talked a little about David last week. He's the king over the United Kingdom. Judah and Israel have come together. And this story here sort of falls under the, the, the literature of history. That this is recapping Israel's history. And here we start in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 1. Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and married one of his daughters, He brought her to live in the city of David until he could finish building his palace in the temple of the Lord and the wall around the city. At that time, the people of Israel sacrificed their offerings at the local places of worship for a temple honoring the name of the Lord had not yet been built. If you know the Old Testament, you know that Solomon ends up building this absolutely amazing temple. Solomon loved the Lord and followed all the decrees of his father. David accepted that Solomon too offered sacrifices and burned incense at the places, local places of worship. The most important of these places of worship was at Gibeon, so the king went there and sacrificed 1,000 burnt offerings. That night the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream, and God said, and listen, God says to Solomon, what do you want? Ask, and I will give it to you. If there's any children in here, this is an Aladdin moment, where God comes to him and says, whatever you want, you ask for it, I'm giving it to you. Some of you probably laid awake at night thinking, okay, if I won the lottery, here's what I would do with it. This is that type of moment where the king can have anything he wants. And here we go in the story, verse 6. 
Solomon replied, you showed great and faithful love to your servant, my father, David. Because he was honest and true and faithful to you, and you've continued to show this great and faithful love to him today by giving him a son, Solomon, to sit on the throne. Now, O Lord, you have made me king instead of my father, David, but I am like a little child who doesn't know his way around. Let's just stop for one second here. Solomon, most scholars think Solomon is about 12 to 14 years old. So if you are a young person in here, this message is for you. He's a young person. In those first couple of verses, six and seven, the way he's, he's I mean, we're going to get to his answer here in a sec, but the way he's thinking about his answer is embedded in what he thinks about God. He talks about God's faithful love. It's the covenant love of God that God had chosen this people, that God had chosen him. Even as a young person, he gets that that is the most important thing. It says in verse 8, And here I am in the midst of your chosen people, a nation so great and numerous they cannot be counted. Give me an understanding heart. We're going to come back to that word understanding. So that I can govern your people well and know the difference between right and wrong. For who by himself is able to govern this great people of yours? In the ancient Near East, back in this time, if you ruled a nation, probably the two most important things that you wanted to be known for, one is a great warrior, that you accomplished great things in battle. The other thing that leaders wanted to be known for was wisdom. So it, this is not a, a story that would not have made sense to them. They, they knew they needed wisdom to rule well. But it's intriguing how Solomon asked for it. He says, give me an understanding heart. That word understanding, this is going to be on the screen here, comes from the Hebrew word shema. And what it means is to hear, to perceive, to pay attention, to listen to, to yield. It's different than the word for wisdom here. That he's asking for this type of ability. And we're going to see how that plays out in the story that we see in this chapter. Verse 10. The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for wisdom. So God replied, because you have asked for wisdom in governing my people with justice, I have not asked for a long life or wealth or the death of your enemies, I will give you what you ask for. I will give you a wise and understanding heart such as no one else has ever or will have. And I will also give you what you did not ask for, riches and fame. No other king in the world will be compared to you for the rest of your life. And if you follow me and obey my decrees and my commands as your father David did, I will give you a long life. Then Solomon woke up, realized it had been a dream. He returned to Jerusalem, stood before the Ark of the Lord's Covenant, where he sacrificed burnt offerings and peace offerings. Then he invited all his officials to a great banquet. And here's where the story gets interesting. So 12 to 14-year-old young man Solomon asked for wisdom, actually asked for understanding, so that he can hear something and understand it and make a wise decision. And now the story moves along, and here's where he gets to practice it right away. This is going to be a lot of fun for a young king. Sometime later, two prostitutes came to him to have an argument settled. Please, my Lord, one of them began. This woman and I live in the same house. I gave birth to a baby while she was with me in the house. Three days later, this, was, this woman also had a baby. We were alone. There were only two of us in the house. And the reason this is intense, by the way, we don't know if they're actually prostitutes or widows. Different scholars have different thinking about it. But the reason that this is important, that they want the alive baby, one of the laws in the Old Testament was what was called the uh, Leverite law. So if your spouse died, if you're a woman and your spouse died, your spouse's brother had to marry you unless you had a child. And so these ladies don't want to be forced into a marriage that they don't want. That's why they're having this argument. That's why they're, becoming, they're coming before this king. 
Verse 19. But her baby died during the night when she rolled over on it. Then she got up in the night, took my son from beside me while I was asleep. She laid her dead child in my arms and took mine to sleep beside her. In the morning when I tried to nurse my son, he was dead. When I looked more closely in the morning light, I saw that it wasn't my son at all. Then the other woman interrupted. You can sort of imagine this scene in a court in a palace. It certainly was your son, and the living child is mine. No, the first woman said, the living child is mine, and the dead one is yours. So they argued back and forth before the king. Then the king said, let's get the facts straight. Both of you claim the living child is yours, and each says the dead one belongs to the other. All right, bring me a sword. So a sword was brought to the king. Remember hearing this in Sunday school? It didn't feel as dark as it possibly could be. Um, but you also think, ask for wisdom. First place you get to practice it. It's intriguing how he goes about what is going to happen here. Verse 25, then he said, cut the living child in two and give half to the one woman and half to the other. And by the way, this, this probably connected some Old Testament laws around property. That if there's a dispute over property, you didn't know who was right and wrong, you would truly just cut it in half. And so Solomon takes that and applies it to this situation. He said, cut the living child in two, give one, half to the, one woman and half to the other. Then the woman who was the real mother of the living child, who loved him very much, cried out, Oh no, my Lord, give her the child, please don't kill him. But the other woman who needs psychiatric help, that's not in the text, I put that in. <laughs> All right. He will be neither yours nor mine. Divide him between us. And the king said, do not kill the child, but give him to the woman who wants him to live, for she is the mother. It's, it's, it's one of those stories that's like, wow, there's, that's weird. That's hard. Did he make the right decision? Did he do the right thing? And I think in an attempt to flush out truth and having just asked for wisdom, that he listened and he leaned in and he made this wise decision. Verse 28, when all Israel heard the king's decision, the people were in awe. For they saw the wisdom God had given him for rendering justice. And then the rest of our text is at the end of chapter 4. It says, God gave Solomon very great wisdom and understanding. And knowledge as vast as the sands of the seashore. In fact, his wisdom exceeded that of all the wise men of the east and the wise men of Egypt. He was wiser than anyone else, including Ethan the Ezrite and the sons of Mahol, Heman, Calcol, and Darda. His fame spread throughout all surrounding nations. He composed some 3,000 proverbs, wrote a 1,005 songs. He could speak with authority in all, all kinds of plants, from the great cedars of Lebanon to the tiny hyssop that grows from the cracks in the wall. He could speak about animals, birds, small creatures, and fish. And the kings from every nation sent their ambassadors to listen to the wisdom of Solomon. I think he's a pretty smart guy is what they're trying to say, in case you need that part interpreted. This is one of those stories that, that we know we've heard, or even if you're new to this whole Bible thing, you hear it for the first time today, and it's like the wisdom of Solomon, that, that's, that's big and vast. And in a lot of the stories that we've talked about in this series, what we've seen is these Old Testament stories point us right towards Jesus Christ, very directly. And this story in some ways does as well, that the idea of wisdom, when you look to the New Testament, when you take some passages in Proverbs, that Jesus is actually the fulfillment of all wisdom as well. And it tells us that, we're going to get really practical with this in a second, but it tells us that if we want to enter into making wise decisions, into this type of life, that it begins with our relationship with Jesus Christ and understanding who he is and that he gives life. And this connects to this whole idea of wisdom. So I want to go over the next couple of minutes. It's to talk real simply through three movements that we see in Solomon that I think day in, day out, Every decision that you have 
you can use these. Um, we often don't end this practical, but I think this is one of those texts that just sort of screams it out. Like, we need to make wise decisions. Here it is, right here. Here's the platter. Here's the way to think about it. So the three words are this. Let me, let's define wisdom first. Wisdom, real simply, is discernment from God to navigate life. Discernment from God to navigate. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've put your faith in Jesus, accepted his forgiveness, put him on as leader of your life, then this is what it is. Spiritual wisdom is discernment from God on how to navigate life, how to make decisions, how to figure it out. And in the movement of the text, I see three things that happen. Three words are this, that we ask for wisdom, that we listen, and then that we act. Let's talk those through a little bit. First one is ask. We saw that Solomon did that. When, when given the, the ability to have anything, he asks for wisdom. If I'm going to do what you've called me to do, God, I need wisdom. I need the ability to make wise decisions. James 1 verse 5 says this, If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. Asking for wisdom on some level implies a certain place of humility in our lives. I don't have all the answers. On my own, I can tend to make some pretty poor decisions. So asking implies that there is humility, that I need something beyond myself. And you and I, we know we need it, right? Friday night, I had one of those um, meetings, pastoral moments that I was heading into. And I got to the place where I was going. I, I literally sat in my car before heading in and just had this, I, I don't know what to say when I go in there. I don't know what to do. This is beyond me. I, I, I'm not sure. To, and just in that moment, all I could do was ask God for the words to say and for the wisdom to be there and be who he wanted me to be and to be who he called me to be. It's hard. We want to think that we have it together, that we can figure it out. Asking for wisdom says, I don't have all the answers. I need something beyond me to help me make wise decisions. Proverbs 2 verse 6 says this, For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. Asking for wisdom implies that we believe that God actually gives it to us, right? That God would actually give us the ability to lean into a situation and through a healthy process make wise decisions. So ask. Second word is this. Listen. This comes from, we talked about that word. Solomon didn't, it's interesting, he doesn't ask for wisdom. He asks for understanding. Like we said, that word is all about listening. It's all about hearing. It's all about understanding. If you and your spouse or you and your significant other are communicating, often when you're in a little bit of a heated exchange, my wife will be talking to me and what I'm doing is I'm formulating my argument, right? I know no other husbands in here do that. That's not listening. Listening is when somebody else is talking that I'm taking it in so that I can understand it. And that's what this word is all about. Recently I had one of those heated exchanges with my older daughter. We were talking and, and she wouldn't stop talking and so I just said, stop talking. God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason. Like, oh, I just became my parents. But we, we, we sort of know that that's a reality, that there is practicality, that we are supposed to listen and take things in, that most importantly, we listen and take in God's word. If you're going to ask for wisdom and then listen and make wise decisions, part of it is dependent that you understand God's story. You understand what God is up to. 
that you get in God. That's why we're doing this year-long series through the whole of, the, of Scripture, so that we understand that there is this big overarching story of God that we are submitting to and living in and trying to be a part of. We listen to wise people. We hear, we understand, we gain knowledge so that we can make a wise decision. It's hard. If we're really honest, listening's hard. Recently, in the last couple months, I've been watching all the dialogue around all the, the, the stuff with racial tension that's going on. What intrigues me is how poor we are at listening to each other. I think it's a great case study of how poor we are at actually understanding the other person so that we can move in and begin to make wise decisions and act in healthy ways. Listening involves that we develop a posture where we truly want to understand so that we can live wise lives, making discerning decisions that really matter. So we ask, we listen. Third movement is this. We act. We make decisions. Make decisions. I, I know this seems so practical, but apart from those first two, some of us just act rashly and we tend to again and again and again make poor decisions. We hurt relationships. We, we make poor financial decisions because we didn't do the first two. Then on the other extreme, some of us in this room, we tend to, we're just paralyzed to make, we may even do the first two. We may ask, we may pray for wisdom, we may understand things, but we, we, we just tend to be frozen when it comes to making wise decisions. And I think what we learn from this text, what we learn about being wise people is, part of it is when you've prayed and asked for wisdom, when you've done the hard work to really understand whatever it is, it can be anything, what school to go to, what person to marry, what house to buy, whatever it is. When and how to have a hard conversation, whatever it is. When you've done the hard work of the first two, then on the third, it involves acting. Making a humble, gracious decision that's based on the reality of the first two. Friends, wise decisions are so important, right? Wise We know what poor decisions can do. We know what, it, what, what painful relationships, what, what has been left in our past when we've made unwise decisions. This is a way, day in, day out, moment in, moment out, for you to make wise decisions from God through Jesus Christ that really matter. Let me close with Ephesians 1, verses 15 through 18. It says this. Ever since I heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you all spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in the knowledge of our God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he has called as holy people who are rich in glorious inheritance. Father, God, I pray. I pray, Lord, that we, through our understanding of who you are, that you are a good and loving God who came down, who lived, who died for our sins and rose again through our understanding and through our faith in that God. Lord, that we would become people who make wise decisions, thoughtful decisions, 
And God, I pray stories like this from the Old Testament would remind us that each and every decision as followers of Jesus matter for your kingdom. I pray this in your name. Amen.